take our Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, and um, I've been enjoying this study on faith, on faith, and on these wonderful examples in the Word of God about the faith of these people. You know, when you read this list of names in Hebrews chapter 11, you read about people who, while they were faithful, yes, they were also sinners. They were sinners. In fact, when you think about some of the sins that some of these faithful people committed, you almost are taken aback. You know, there's murderers in this list. There are adulterers in this list. Fornicators, thieves, all kinds of different sins represented in this list. But as we sang already just a few moments ago with all of you, that while our sins are many, His mercy's more. His mercy is more, and I'm so thankful for that truth this morning. Last week, we began looking at the life of Abraham, the life of Abraham, and how he demonstrated the obedience of faith. Faith, as the book of James tells us, without works is dead, being alone. And by the way, starting next Sunday night uh, at 5 o'clock, I'm going to begin a series through the book of James. We're going to follow some of the same format we've been doing on Sunday nights. I'll preach for a little while. Then at the end, I want us to have some questions and some prayer time discussion about what we've been talking about. But I think studying through the book of James will fit very well with where we've been at in Hebrews 11, because it's really practical theology. It's living out your faith in real life. It doesn't do you any good just to know a lot of stuff in your head. That just makes you a Pharisee. That just makes you somebody who's puffed up with knowledge. Rather, the Bible teaches us that it's not just about head knowledge. It's about applying that into real life. And in Hebrews 11, we have the example of people who walked by faith and demonstrated their faith in their life. As I mentioned last week, there is a lot of this chapter that's given to the story of Abraham. The story of Abraham takes up more than any other person's story in Hebrews chapter 11. And so we couldn't get through the story of Abraham in just one message last week. So we have a couple of more, Lord willing, from the life of Abraham. I want you to follow along with me. Hebrews chapter 11 verses 8 through 10. The Bible says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, this is where we focused last week, he obeyed. He obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now, if you have your Bible, take it and turn back to the first book in your Bible, the book of Genesis. I want you to see with me two different passages of Scripture that give us a little more detail about Abraham's life. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, 
Let's look at verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, to Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. That last part of that promise to Abram, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. What is the greatest way that God has blessed all families of the earth through Abraham? Through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. The one who came from the seed of Abraham, descended from Abraham, God in human flesh, come and born of a virgin, Mary, to be born to save his people from their sin. The Bible says, so Abram departed, I'm in Genesis 12, 4, as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. Now turn over a page or two to Genesis 13. Genesis 13. Genesis 13, we'll pick up the story in verse 5. And Lot also, which went with Abram, Lot was Abram's nephew, he had flocks and herds and tents, and the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. So Abram and Lot both had lots of flocks, lots of herds, and they were struggling because there were so many of them, they were struggling to coexist. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen. For we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? And notice what Abram says to Lot. Separate thyself. Separate thyself. If you underline in your Bible, you may want to underline that. We're going to come back to that in a moment. He says, Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take thy left hand, then I will go to the right. If thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes, and behold, all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, where the Lord destroyed, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest to Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, here's this phrase again, and they separated themselves, the one from the other. And Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the plain, cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Now look at verse 14. And the Lord said to Abram, After that, Lot was separated from him. Here we see this word separated coming up for a third time in this passage. Lift up thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and southward, eastward, westward, for all the land which thou seest to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise. Another good word. Walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. In this message this morning, what I want you to notice with me 
is how Abraham's faith led him into a life of separation. A life of separation. Perhaps one of our greatest needs to understand, not only theoretically, but experientially, is the meaning of scriptural separation. So what is the meaning of separation? Well, many people have a superficial idea what God means by a separated life. When they hear a preacher say, we have to live a separated life, they may immediately think that that just involves being separate from what we call worldly things. And while that is true, this is only to look at it in a negative way. And the life of faith is not just a life of what you can't do. It's not just a life of negative things. No, a life of faith is not just what we're separated from, but what we are separated to. The life of faith is a most positive experience. And the separation to which God calls us and to which faith responds is always twofold. It's both negative and positive. As you step away from one thing, you are stepping towards something else. It is a from separation and a to separation. The former, without the latter, would not be separation, but isolation. And sadly, many Christians today, in their desire to pursue separationism, have become isolationists. And that's not what God has called us to do as believers. He said, we are to be in the world but not to be of the world. Here's a simple definition of the separation of faith, the separation that the Lord desires in the life of every one of His children. Here it is. It is the separation from all that is outside the will of God for my life and separation to all that is within the will of God for my life. Let me say that again. Biblical separation is the separation from all that is outside the will of God for my life and is the separation to all that is within the will of God for my life. We can't just leave one and not come to Christ. Think of the from aspect. This includes separation from all known sin or questionable issues. 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18 says... Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Biblical separation truly means that there must be no compromise or complicity with evil, but it also means separation from things, places, even people, which in themselves are not wrong, if association with these things, these places, or these people is contrary to the will of God for my life. Let me give you an example. It was not wrong for Abraham to live in Ur of the Chaldees prior to God telling him to leave Ur of the Chaldees. Abraham lived in this city, and it wasn't wrong for him to live there, but... In Genesis 12, 1, God told Abraham to leave that city. Now, all right, class, you ready? 
would it have been wrong for Abraham to stay in the Ur of Chaldees after God told him to leave? Absolutely. Because the will of God was for him to leave. So as he separated himself from the Ur of the Chaldees, he separated himself to the will of God. Now think of this in the two aspect of the separation. See, separation is not just separation to a system, to an organization, to a society or to a creed. No, separation is separation from the things of this world and it is separation to the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Yesterday, I had the opportunity to meet with a couple that's planning on getting married here at our church next month. And when you think about a couple getting married, the idea of separation fits very well. When you take those vows to marry your spouse, you are separating yourself from all others, and you're separating yourself to the one that you are marrying. We understand it in that regard. We would not think it was a good marriage if up there when the, when the pastor said, do you promise to, to leave all others or forsake all others and to just have this one to have and to hold? And they said, no, I think I'm going to hang on to one or two of my old girlfriends. No, no that, that wouldn't be a good marriage, would it? No. What if you say, well, I'm going to forsake all others, but I'm not going to take you? Well, that's not a marriage. That's not a marriage. Biblically, God has called us into relationship with Himself. And in so doing, that means leaving behind the things of this world, but separating ourselves to the things of the Lord. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I think, describe this so well for the, script, for the Christian. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Boy, a sacrifice, that's separation, isn't it? It's giving itself to another, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And he says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I want you to notice with me this morning three aspects of the principle of separation in the life of God's servant Abraham. Here's number one. We see, first of all, the call to a life of separation, the call to this life of separation. We noticed in our last message how definitely this call came to Abraham. God came and He told him, get up and go. And Abraham got up and went. But I want you to notice how this call was a progressive call. It was a progressive call. In other words, God did not just call Abraham once. He called him on a number of occasions. First, in Genesis 12, 1 and 4, He called him to leave Ur. But then if you go down in Genesis 13, 1 to 4, God called Abram to leave Egypt. And then in Genesis 13, 14 to 18, we just read these verses a few minutes ago, God called Abram to leave Lot. He called him to leave Lot. Then in Genesis 17, he called him to obey him by an act of circumcision, which typified separation. And then in Genesis 22, 
God called Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. Now think about the call of separation in Abraham's life. Aren't you thankful that God's call is a progressive call? God didn't start with asking Abraham to sacrifice his son. He started with asking him to leave his home. And each progressive call was in line with and consistent with God's will. And each one, we say, wow, that's probably even more difficult than the last one. And yet when God calls us to separate ourselves unto himself, it is often a progressive call. What's God's first call to you and me this morning? It's a call to forsake our sin and to trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. That's the call that He gives all of us to follow. And that's a call that for us requires faith. We have to trust in God that He really means what He says, that He really does forgive our sin. And I'm so thankful to tell you this morning that I believe God and what He says is true. And when He calls you to trust Him as Savior, He will in no wise cast you out. Come to Him, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, in salvation, then He calls us to baptism. That's the next step. In baptism, we are publicly identifying with Christ. After the service this morning, we're going to baptism outside. I'm really excited. It's a public identification with Christ. Salvation or baptism is not what saves us, but it is the first step of obedience for the believer in Christ to let everybody know, I'm a follower of Christ. After baptism, then he calls us into his service. He says that we are to be part of a church to join with the church and to serve with them. He tells us that we're to work in the church. Aren't you thankful that God doesn't put His calls later on in our life at the beginning? It would just be too complicated for us, wouldn't it? God's call to separation in the life of Abraham was a progressive call. But because of the progressive nature of God's call, it means that we as His servants need to keep in very close touch with Him every single day. There are some that treat their relationship with God as a once-in-their-lifetime experience. But a relationship with God is not just a once-in-your-life experience. It's an everyday walk with Him. How will you be able to hear His voice if you're not listening? How will you be able to sense His leading if you're not spending time in His Word? How will you be tender to His work in your life if you're, if you're covering up sin in your heart? The Bible says it very clearly, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Your Christian life is a life of walking with the Lord, and it is a separated life. And God is calling you to follow Him. But that call is a progressive call. Second thing I want you to notice about that call is that it was a particular call. A particular call. This was not a general call, but a specific call which came to Abraham. In his case, it was to separate himself from Ur, from his home, from his friends, and all the associations of that city. You know, we're not all called to leave Ur, 
For God needs some witnesses in earth. So before we can know if we're in God's will, we need to have a particular call from Himself to ourselves concerning His will. You know, God doesn't call everybody to be a pastor. It'd be kind of a strange service this morning, wouldn't it be, if every one of us were preaching this morning to one another and no one was sitting still and saying, what does God have for me from His Word through the preacher today? That'd be kind of a strange place to be. God doesn't call everybody to go through the same trials. He doesn't call everybody to go to the same places. He doesn't call everybody even to be part of the same local church. He has a particular call for each and every one of us. And that particular call is another reason why we must be very attentive to the Lord's leading and direction in our lives. Don't separate yourself from God. Don't live your life thinking, well, it doesn't really matter what God says. I'll just do whatever I want. No, there is a particular call. And there was a very particular call in Abraham's life. I think the third thing we can see about this call, it was also a very practical call, wasn't it? God called him to do something very practical. Get up and leave her. Just picture Abraham trying to pack up all of his belongings in Ur and then later having to separate himself from Lot. Those are complicated things, but very practical things. And then even later still having to sacrifice his son Isaac. That's practical calling. You know, when God calls you to things, he doesn't just call you to this general sort of fuzzy life. No, he calls us to obedience. He calls us to obey his word. He's very particular in his word. Jose and I have been meeting on Thursday nights and we've been studying the Bible together. It's been a lot of fun. One of the things we talked about this past week is that when God shows us things in his word, we have to obey them, right? Because it's a particular and practical call. God doesn't just say things in His Word just to say nice things. No, He's telling us things in His Word because these are the things He wants us to obey. This call in the life of Abraham, it was progressive. It was particular. It was also practical. So we've noticed the call to this life of separation, and we can clearly see this in Abraham's life. But you know... Another thing we can learn about the separation of faith from the life of Abraham is that there's a cost. There's a cost to this life of separation. Is it an easy life or a hard life? Well, we could argue that. And we might both have good arguments for our position. You know, I say things like this, and I really believe it. I can't imagine going through losing a loved one without knowing that Jesus Christ loves me and cares for me. Couldn't imagine it. At the same time, when we look at this world and, and we look at our own wicked flesh, we say, man, it's a hard thing to follow God. It can be a hard thing. So I think we could say, well, it's an easy life or it's a hard life. We could go back and forth on that, but clearly it is a costly life. The life of separation has a great cost to it. It's a costly life 
But I want you to, we'll see this later, there are great compensations in this life as well. Jesus described this life of separation in Luke chapter 9, verse 23 to 26. He said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Sounds a lot like separation, doesn't it? Deny himself and take up his cross. How often? Daily. Daily. And follow me. That means as a Christian, we never get any days off. And say, well, I've been a Christian for a long time. I'm taking a vacation from being a Christian. Hey, I want you to know when I'm out of town, I'm not taking a vacation from being a Christian. My dad just texted me a few minutes ago. They're out of town today. They had a big work meeting overseas. He said, it was really encouraging to be with a group of believers in Milan, Italy today. They were at the, let me see if I can get the name here. He sent it to me in a text. This is kind of cool. They were at the, he even sent me the website, the Bethany Baptist Church in Milan, Italy. Pastor Omar Monti. You know, when you're on vacation, it doesn't mean you're on vacation from being a Christian. Yes, you can go on vacation. You can rest from your job. You can rest and enjoy time with family. But we don't stop living for the Lord. Jesus said he'll take up his cross daily and he says, Well, follow me for whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. If your focus is just on this life for yourself, he says, guess what? You're going to lose it. But he says, whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed. Wow, those were strong words. These are the words of Christ. When he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. There is a cost to the life of separation. To Abraham, living this life of separation meant the loss of personal freedom. The loss of personal freedom. He was no longer just free to do whatever he wanted. No, he was the Lord's servant. In Ephesians 3.1, Paul the apostle wrote, he says, For this cause, the, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. You know, when Paul started serving God, he spent a lot more time in prison. Before he served God, he threw people in prison. After he started serving God, he was the one getting thrown in prison. Before he served God, he, he got to stone people and kill them. After he started serving God, they began to stone him. There was a great cost to the separation of faith. They lost personal freedom. You know, I believe Abraham probably also lost social standing. He left his home in Ur. I mean, here he goes from this city, and if you study history at this point in time, I mean, Ur of the Chaldees, this is like the height of civilization at that time. It was from that region of the world where handwriting was first coming into being. I mean, education was on the rise. I'm sure it was a place of the arts at that time. It was a place of great technological advances and great scientific discovery. This was Ur of the Chaldees. And what did Abraham have to do? Pack up all his belongings and go live in a tent. Go live in a tent. 
You can't say that he did that and didn't lose some social standing. You know, it was later when Lot, after he went towards Sodom and Gomorrah, what did Lot want? He, he wanted that social standing back again, and he, he made himself friends with the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. And in fact, later on, the Bible tells us that Lot was even to be found sitting in the gates of the city, which is where the elders, the leaders of the city sat. It's, it, it's so alluring for us, isn't it? Even in Christian circles to be looking for social standing. I've seen this happen in churches. People say, well, I want this because I want people to know who I am. I want people to appreciate me for who I am. One of the things I'm really thankful about when Billy came to serve with us, we talked about this. I said, I'm just looking for people who, along with us, will just serve the Lord that aren't here because they have a position or here because they have a title or here because they want everybody to look at them, just here because we're all here to serve the Lord together. You see, when you walk by faith, there is a cost. And that cost sometimes means the loss of social standing. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 10 to 12, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. What is the cost of a life of separation? Well, it's also the loss of human friendship. First, Abraham had to leave his friends in Ur, in Ur and later he had to leave his nephew Lot. We know Abraham cared very much for Lot, as is evidenced by his care for Lot even after Lot left him. If you study the book of Genesis, you'll find a story where some enemy armies came in and wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah. And what did Abraham do? He got his servants together and he put together his own little militia, his own little army, and he went and attacked those guys and he got Lot and his family back. Did Lot say thank you? No, he just went right back to the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Later on, when God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of their sin, what does Abraham do? He prays to God. He pleads with God. God, if there's 50 righteous, would you save them? God, if there's 45, if there's 40, he goes right down the list. God, would you spare the city? Abraham cared much about Lot, and yet he lost some of that human friendship. Why? Because he was separated unto the Lord. I think we can also see the loss of home, comforts, and ease. Abraham definitely experienced that. The Apostle Paul wrote about this in Philippians 3, verse 7 and 8. He says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. What were the things that were counted gain to Paul? Well, his education, his social standing. He was Roman born, he was free born. His position in society, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He said, I counted all those things lost for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost. Why? He says, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, that I may win Christ. 
the separation of faith also means the loss of worldly gain. Worldly gain. Mark 8, 36 says, For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Do you remember when God came to Abraham and Lot and they decided to separate themselves? Where did Lot choose to go? He went to the well-watered plain of Jordan. And then everything else was left to Abraham. Lot took the best place for himself. Abraham let him choose first. From a human perspective, Abraham gave up some personal gain. I mean, if, you're, if your business is cattle and sheep, then you want the best watering holes, you want the best grass, because that's the best way to grow your flock. Abraham had to be willing to give that stuff up because he had separated himself unto the Lord. But can I remind you this morning that any loss that you may see, any loss that others may look at your life and say, well, you're going to be giving this up if you follow Christ. Any loss for Christ is only a temporary loss. It's only a temporary loss. It's only a loss perhaps in this life, but it's only temporary at best or at worst. Romans 8 verses 16 to 18. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified with Him. Glorified together. For I reckon, notice verse 18, I reckon that the sufferings of this life, how long do they last? Well, just for a little time, right? Sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared. Not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. It is a costly life, the life of separation. But those losses are only temporary. But in the life of Abraham, and I believe in our lives as well, we can also see the compensations in this life of separation. The compensations, what are they? What did Abraham receive because of his willingness to walk by faith, to separate himself out from Ur, to separate himself from Egypt, to separate himself from Lot, to separate himself to God through circumcision, to separate himself to God by being willing to give his son Isaac as a sacrifice? What did he gain? What do we gain if we live a life of separation to the Lord? I think we can gain the presence, the special presence of God. His presence, Genesis 13, 14 and 15, the Lord said to Abraham, after that that lot was separated from him, lift up thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land which thou seest to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. After Abram separated himself from Lot, that's when God came and spoke to him again the special presence of the Lord. I like the song that we sing sometimes as an invitation at our church. Sometimes we sing it in the regular part of worship. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in His wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory. Even in that song, we are singing words of separation. 
turn your eyes upon Jesus. That means to turn away from the things of this world. Look full in His wonderful face. When you're so focused on Him, everything else fades away. Fades away. Abraham demonstrated this in his life, and because of this, he gained the special presence of God. But we also gained the special promise of God. Promise of God. Abram experienced this promise as God promised to make of him a great nation, to make his name great. God repeated that promise to him in Genesis 12, Genesis 13. And then in Genesis 15, God said to Abram in a vision saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Because not only did he experience God's special promise, he also gained the special protection of God. Special protection of God. When you read about Abraham and the places he went and the things he did, you know, Abram, he was a fearful man, and because of his fear, he struggled with lying. You know what he lied about two different times? Yeah. He lied that Sarah was not his wife, and he said that she was his sister and not his wife. Abram, man. I mean, there are some lies, and then there's some lies. I mean, I mean, if I'm going to lie about something, I hope it would not be my wife. But why did he do it? Because he was afraid. He was afraid of what the enemies might do to him or to Sarah, his wife. And so he lied. But you know, God is a merciful God. Isn't it amazing that God protected Abraham even when Abraham was not being truthful? He protected him two times, once in Egypt, once with Abimelech. As Abraham separated himself to the Lord, God protected him, sometimes even in spite of himself. Aren't you thankful that God protects you in spite of yourself? You ever look back at your life and say, wow, that was dumb? I'm sad to say I do that more often than I'd like to think. Boy, I can't believe I did that. Wow. That was wild. I, my dad probably remembers a time when I was learning to drive. I didn't see the stop sign. Blew right through it. Thankfully, the other cars on the road saw me and avoided me or else... I might not be standing here today. I would have lived all of 15 years of my life, and that would have been it. God protects us in spite of ourselves when we're driving on the road sometimes. He also does it in the decisions that we make sometimes. I'm not saying that's an excuse for making dumb decisions or that we shouldn't seek the Lord or that we should disobey and do whatever we want and say, well, God's going to take care of us anyway. Jesus was very clear when he said, don't tempt the Lord your God. But God is so faithful. And he protects his people. Much later after Abraham's day, there was a leader of God's people named Joshua. Joshua understood God's faithfulness and protection. He had experienced it as the children of Israel being led into the promised land. He said this in Joshua 23, 14, And behold, this day, 
He was talking at the very end of his life. This day I'm going the way of all the earth, and ye know in all your hearts and your souls that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. What a great thing to be able to say about your life, that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord God spake concerning you. I mean, think about that. Could you go home today and look in the mirror and say, you know what? Not one thing that God has spoken concerning you has failed. You know, I believe that's true. You say, well, you don't understand the things I've been through. Listen, who's talking about Who's talking here in this passage? It's Joshua. Had the children of Israel always had it easy? Had they obeyed every step of the way? Had they done everything right? Did they always experience God's blessing every moment of every day? No, just go back to the little town called Ai. But it's still true that not one thing had failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. You know, parents, there is no way our children could ever say this about us. They might say, well, my parents did the best they could. But our children could not honestly say, well, every good thing that my parents intended towards me, everything that they planned always came to pass. And sometimes my boys know this. We can't even go fishing when we plan to go fishing. You know, God's never planned a fishing trip that he couldn't go on. God's never had an activity or an event that he planned that said, well, ah, I messed up on that one. I, I overscheduled or it rained and I wasn't expecting it to. No, God never has that problem. He's so faithful to protect us and to provide for us. To provide for us. Oh, I skipped one. I'm sorry. Let me go back. I don't want to miss this. Not only do we get the provision and the protection of the Lord, I think when we separate ourselves out to God's way, we gain the special power of God as well. It's not our power, it's His. Abraham demonstrated this. In Genesis 18, and 23, it said, And the men turned their faces from thence, went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. What a thought. To be able to stand before the Lord. And Abram drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? This was when he began the conversation with God and said, God, don't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if there's at least 50. And, God, and then Abram said, Well, but even if there's not 50, Lord, if there's 45. Well, Lord, even if there's not 45, Lord, if, if, there's, 30, if there's 40, if there's 30, if there's 20, Lord, even if there's 10. And you know what the Lord answered him each and every time? Okay, Abraham. Even if there's ten righteous, I won't destroy the city. What an incredible thing that Abraham could be able to stand before the Lord and have that kind of conversation with him. What a relationship with God. You know, I don't think that was the conversation that Abraham could have had with God right when Abraham was leaving Ur. And he probably wasn't even ready to have that conversation with God at that point in time. No, he, he was still taking the first step of faith the second, third, fourth, but as we separate ourselves out to a 
life of faithfulness to the Lord, it does give us a special relationship, a special, the, we experience the special power of God. To be able to communicate with God like Abraham did. Abraham had a very special relationship with God. The Bible tells us that he was called God's friend. He was the friend of God. I want to ask you this morning, is the relationship that Abraham, that Abraham had with God, is that something that only Abraham can have? Well, we do agree that the particular call that God had in Abraham's life was particularly for Abraham, not for us. But God has a particular call for each and every one of you. You won't have the relationship with God that Abraham had, but you can have your own relationship with God. You can talk to him, and he will talk to you. These principles that we see from Abraham's life are really not all that different than what we can have in our own life as we walk with the Lord. We can experience, and I think will experience, God's progressive call. I love to just sit back from time to time and think about all the different steps in my life that the Lord has directed me on. It's kind of crazy sometimes. You think, boy, God took me over here and over there. I met this person and this connection here and this and that and the other thing. And you see now and you say, wow, this is wonderful. And I go, wow, if this is how the first uh, half of my life goes, I hope God gives me another half to enjoy the same way. This has been wonderful. It hasn't always made sense to me or to anybody else. Yesterday, um, I called a couple of friends from our church in Indiana. And they asked our prayer. They're going through some difficult times, some health needs, just some spiritual struggles and issues. And I said, well, I'll be praying about those needs, but I just want to tell you, I don't know where I would be today if it wasn't for the time that the Lord had us there serving with your church. You know, Hillcrest Baptist Church in Logansport, Indiana, a place probably none of you have ever been. And if you have... That'd, that'd be pretty, pretty unique. Not many people have been to Logansport, Indiana. It's a town of about 11,000 people, 90 miles north of Indianapolis. In fact, the first time I went to Logansport, Indiana, was when they had called to ask us to come serve in the church there. And I, had, I'd, I don't even think I'd ever even been to Indiana for any reason. And I know those from Indiana, they want to let you know there's more than corn in Indiana. There's a few other things. But, you know, from... Somebody being from Texas, you're like, why would I ever even go to Indiana? I remember when I left Texas, we were in Texas. And we started talking about the fact that we thought God was moving us to Indiana. People said, what's wrong with you? Why would you leave Texas? Some of them said, well, I know what it is. It's a bigger church. And I said, nope, it's not. They're going to pay you more money. Nope. I wish they would have done that, but they didn't. Nope. You know, from a lot of things, from a human standpoint, it didn't make a lot of sense. I had more work to do. I got paid less money. I lived further away from my family. 
dealt with new challenges. Because you all know the grass isn't greener on the other side of the fence. Or if it is, it's just grown over a septic tank, right? It's, it's just, there's always new challenges everywhere you go. He said, so why, why are we doing this thing? Because the Lord called us to do it. It was a particular call in our life. God's direction, step by step, day by day. And I look back now, and I would tell you, I would not have had it any other way. God let us meet people there that invested in us. We got to experience things there that we learned. And I would tell you, we are here today in part. Now, there are lots of things that God has done, but in part to what God did in our lives by going to Indiana. And I'm thankful he let me come back to Texas. Got to come home. But you know, God will do things in your life. He'll move you from place to place. He'll call you to do things. And each one of those calls requires faith. It requires, as we talked about last week, the obedience of faith. That if God says it in his word, I'm going to trust him enough to do it. Instead of trying to figure out, well, how am I going to pay for this? How am I going to do that? Where this is going to go? How? Lord, I know you've called me, so I'm going to start figuring those things out, and I'm going to trust you to provide when you are ready. You know, I've, one thing I've learned about God, he generally doesn't provide early. He provides right on time. Anybody else ever experienced that? Yeah. So I've, this is what I tell myself, and I can't tell you I'm perfect in this, but this is what I tell myself. I said, well, all right, if God hasn't provided it yet, that must mean I don't need it yet. I said, I, I think I really need it. Evidently not, because if I did, God had given it to me. I think that's true, isn't it? He said he'll supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Sometimes we're worried about a lot of stuff that really isn't our job to worry about. If Abraham had been worried about everything that was going to take place in his future, I don't think he would have ever left Ur of the Chaldees. Why did he leave? Because he believed God's promise. And in doing so, he separated himself to God. What is God calling you to do? I think all of us have another step of faith that we need to take. Again, it's not for all of us to leave this place. But for some of us to take another step of faith here. In Genesis 17:1, Abram, the Bible says, was 90 years old and nine. He was 99. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Do you know what that name, almighty God, maybe you've heard it in its Hebrew form, it's El Shaddai. It's not just a cool Hebrew sounding name of God, no, it truly means that he is the almighty or the all-sufficient or the God who is enough. 
of God. And if God is enough, then you can walk before Him. You see, when we really think about this truth here, if I'm not willing to obey God by faith, if I'm not willing to separate myself out from things and to God by faith, then I really don't believe that God is enough. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to live it. This morning, God is enough to save you from your sin. You're not enough, but He is. He says, my grace is sufficient. He'll wash away all your sin. There are people who say, well, I've done some really bad things. I've done some stuff that other people can't even relate to. God is enough. God is enough. He's enough to wash away your sin, to forgive you, to give you eternal life. He's enough to provide for your need that you're struggling with right now and you're saying, I don't know where I'm going to go from here. I don't know what I'm going to do. He's enough. He's enough. God is enough that if you obey His Word, He will always take care of whatever it is that you're struggling with. He's enough. He's enough. You say, why do you put that if in front of there, if you obey? Because if we're not obeying, we're not in God's will. If we're not in God's will, how can we expect God to provide for something that's not His plan in the first place? Obedience to the Lord puts us in the path of the Lord. It helps us to, as God told Abraham, to walk before Him. God is enough for those who are walking in His path. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. Abraham obeyed by faith, and he separated himself by faith. Father, this morning, there may be somebody here that has never trusted in you. Lord, as they've looked at this world, their life, even trying to wrap their head around all the different religions and truth claims that are out there can seem overwhelming. Lord, help us to step back by faith and just trust in you. If there's somebody here that's never been saved, I pray that today they would call upon the name of the Lord in faith and be saved. Lord, there may be somebody here this morning who's been holding back in some area of doing what you've called them to do. They're afraid to separate themselves from some sin that they're dealing with because they don't want the consequence. Lord, help them to trust you by faith, to separate themselves from that sin. Lord, I believe there are many here this morning who there are things, have things in their life that they know that you've called them to. Two areas of obedience, two areas of submission, two areas of humility in their lives. Lord, may we be willing to separate ourselves by faith for your glory. 
Jesus' name I pray.